Hi, I'm Carly Kloss. I'm Sam Weiner. And I'm Jenny Wang. And this is Tech Setters, a podcast for changemakers by changemakers. In each episode, iconic Code with Classy alumni, Itasha Donthi and Maria Hearn, sit down with an inspiring innovator, leader, creator, or trailblazer in STEAM to talk about their unique journeys in tech, entrepreneurship, and beyond. TechSetters is about discovering and elevating the human stories behind the future of tech, allowing guests to share their individual stories of success, struggle, and impact. Season three is powered by If Then, an organization founded on a simple belief. If we empower a woman in STEM, then she can change the world. This season was filmed in front of a live audience of Code with Classy scholars. Enjoy! Hi, listeners. I'm Itasha Donthi, an 18-year-old activist, entrepreneur, changemaker, and three-time Code with Classy alum. And I'm Maria Hearn, a sophomore at Johns Hopkins University, where I'm studying computer science. I've been with Code with Classy since 2018. This season, we're bringing you our favorite moments from the TechSetters Live summer series. This episode features our conversation with Crystal Sai. Executive Director, Chief of Staff for Global Online at the Estee Lauder Companies, a.k.a. ELC. Crystal has been with ELC for almost a decade, working across marketing, communications, demand planning, and global business planning. She's held leadership roles in ELC's Network of Black Leaders and Executives Employee Resource Group, or Noble, since 2016. Before joining the beauty industry, she worked in fashion at Ross Stores, Macy's, and Robinson's May. In this episode, Crystal shares about overcoming stereotypes as a Ghanaian-American, finding her home in the beauty industry, and how she fell in love with data. We are so excited to have you join us, Crystal, and learn more about your career and leadership journey. Welcome to the Code of Classy community. Thank you, guys. Super excited to be here. Absolutely. So let's dive right in. Going back, how did your background influence you know, your passion for the beauty industry? My journey with beauty has been really personal, I would say. Like I, I love how we celebrate individuality today, right? But like that wasn't the case when I was growing up. And like so many others, I had a little bit of a difficult time in middle school because my hair was kinkier and my skin tone was darker. And, you know, we had a drill team director who chose out stage makeup that was like this like bubblegum pink blush and this green eyeshadow and this red lipstick. And I was already the butt of so many people's jokes and I just thought to myself, I cannot wear this makeup because I will look crazy and people will make fun of me. So I actually went into my mom's room and started playing with her makeup, mixing different shades and colors to come up with the look that I really loved. You know, you kind of go through this, this weird journey of, you know, thinking you need the beauty products, eventually coming to realize that like, you know, you are just beautiful the way that you are and embracing your own beauty. And so when I got to college, a lot of my friends asked me to do their makeup. So if we were be going to a party or something, there'd be like a line outside the dorm for me to do people's makeup. I think in the beginning of my corporate career, I worked more on the fashion side. I always had Mm. a connection to beauty. So I did freelance makeup or I did makeup for fashion shows or photo shoots or plays and things like that. And then I eventually in 2013 decided to make the switch into the beauty industry. And once I did, I was like, oh, I'm home. That's really interesting. You're talking about 
you were focused on fashion in the beginning and then you made this switch into beauty. Can you talk about why you went into fashion in the first place instead of following the beauty path that your doormates would probably agree with? I think that fashion was just another thing that I loved. I just, I love the ability to pull from different places to contribute to your own individual style. You know, I think at the end of the day, fashion and beauty are so closely related. But, you know, as I kind of went through my career and recognized the passion that I had for just doing people's makeup, like, you know, when you do somebody's makeup for a wedding or a prom, Mm. the way that they would feel, I could connect with it because I knew how beauty made me feel. I still love fashion. I still love to shop, which is, you know, a huge problem. (laughs) But uh, but I agree. I agree. Yeah. Going back to, you know, your early career, can you describe the moment where you felt like you found the right career path job and felt like you belonged within the industry? Yeah. I was working for a company called Raw Stores and I was working there in a merchandise planning position, which it was a job that really expanded my skill set in terms of data and analytics and numbers. But it was a very straightforward job and I could tell that I was getting too comfortable. Somehow I knew that I was too early on in my career to be so comfortable. And I I knew that I had always been so passionate about beauty. Mm. And I just had this moment where I was like, I should combine what I am passionate about with what my professional skill set is. So I like literally Googled, like I was a planner at the time. I Googled Matt Cosmetics Planner because I have always loved the Matt Cosmetics brand. And I found a job, which is like, doesn't necessarily happen as easy. I didn't get that job, but they called me and were like, hey, what do you think about this demand planning job for the MAC Cosmetics North America brand? And I was like, that sounds interesting. I didn't know what demand planning was, but it was very related. The skills were very transferable. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up accepting the position. I was very afraid. I'll be really honest. I was really nervous about making that kind of career switch, but I knew I loved the brand. And when I started working for that brand, we had just launched MAC Rihanna and it had been the successful campaign that we Mm. had ever had sold out in minutes. And like very quickly after joining Estee Lauder companies and like the Mac brand, I was just like, oh, uh, this is it. This is, I know I want to be in the beauty industry. You found a way to sort of connect your childhood association with Mac into this amazing planning job. And so then you found your way into Estee Lauder because not many people know that Mac is under the Estee Lauder Corporation. Yeah, I didn't even know until I found that job. And I was like, oh. Wow. Okay. Going into more about your job currently at Estee Mm -hmm. Lauder, what does a day in the life look like for you? I would say the role that I'm in now, I've been in for about nine months and I'm the chief of staff to the president of our online business. And every day honestly looks really different. It can be anything from helping him prepare to get ready to present to our CEO or our executive leadership team. I think it also has a lot to do with people and culture and making sure that our ELC online employees feel connected, you know, to our leadership, to our executive vice president, um, but that also that there are fun opportunities for them to like connect and be energized. And then it also is working on like key business initiatives. You know, how do we essentially translate the magic of our Estee Lauder companies' brands into a digital environment, right? Like even though we can offer this amazing high-touch experience in stores and people love our brands, when you have a lot of competition from digitally native brands that have started online, how Mm -hmm. can we make sure that we're offering an experience that really gives the customer what they want and keeps people coming to our sites? And so 
every day looks a little bit different. Some days I'm, you know, meeting one-on-one with my boss. Other days I'm in the room with him and our CEO, you know, and other days I'm planning, you know, rooftop (laughs) mixers and things like that. I love that. And so you worked on a lot of diversity and inclusion initiatives. And as scholars, as people, we always are looking for inspiration. So how do you find the inspiration for these sort of projects? Yeah, you know, honestly, it's people. Even though I was leading, I think the best ideas come from, you know, employees who are not in those senior leadership positions because you just have an ability to like dream and think outside of the box in such a a major way. And so, you know, when we would do events and things like that, a lot of the ideas would come from the people that were sitting in the room who were brave enough to speak up. Earlier this year for Black History Month, we had this whole concept called Journeys that was all about our connected journeys, both individual and collective. That came from another one of the co-chairs. And so I would say that people and what's going on around us are always the inspiration for a lot of the initiatives, but then also just like you know, equity and lack of representation. I don't ever want, you know, a young Black girl or, you know, a young girl of a different, you know, ethnicity or background to walk into a space and not feel welcomed or like she can be her full total self at all times. And so I think that drives a lot of different initiatives too. Going back, is there any specific person that you remember that came up to you with this idea that this is legendary, this is revolutionary, can we make this? Or if not, do you have any favorite projects that you worked on? I think in terms of favorite projects, you know, one of my favorites was literally right before the pandemic. And it's a project that we did called the beauty of our diaspora. That was truly like a 360. So it was all about expressing the diversity of like black people, but like not a monolith. We had Miss Universe, Zosie Tunzi as a speaker. We had this amazing photographer and content creator, Joshua Kissy. We had Notori Naughton from Power. We had a diaspora beauty bar that had products that did well in black communities globally. And people could come and like exchange their ticket for a full-size product. We hired all black vendors to do the catering, the flowers, the music, the food. So it was just like this holistic, amazing, event. And so that will, I think, go down in history as one of my personal favorites, but there have been tons of others. How do you think, you know, your Ghanaian identity influences your take on building these projects? When I was a kid, it was not cool to be African, okay? Like everybody called you the one thing that they knew to call you, which is like African booty scratcher. And like people would ask you questions like, do your parents live in huts? Like do, do you people walk mm-hmm. around in clothes? And, and so mm-hmm. there was a frustration that I remember having as a young person, like that's not what Ghana's like at all, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I think that a lot of those projects come from a desire to just be like, I'm not one thing and I'm not just the thing that you've seen on TV. I think it also helped me celebrate individuality, like things that are considered beautiful or things that were considered beautiful, I think were very different in Ghana, right? Like if you have a gap in your teeth in Ghana, it's seen as a sign of beauty, right? Like, like not shaving your legs is not a big deal in Ghana. But I think for me personally, being Ghanaian has heavily influenced, you know, me just embracing everything from my skin tone to my hair, to how I interact with people, to how much I value family and community. It just runs through every part of my being. And so there's just so much to explore and so much to like share with the world to break down this idea that like everybody in Africa is walking around naked. How would you describe your emerging leadership style? 
I think sometimes we have an, an idea of what a leader is, somebody who might speak up the most or, you know, be the loudest or assert themselves in a certain way. And I just have a different style of leadership. So I am a very collaborative leader. I'm not a top down person, you know, where I'm like, this is what it's going to be. And everybody, you know, do this. And yes, there are instances where you have to take the lead and you have to kind of delegate, but like, I'm the leader that wants to hear from every single person in the room. I try to be respectful of individuality Mm -hmm. and different perspectives because you need difference of opinion and you need diversity for creativity. Like if you just have everybody in a room that thinks exactly the same, like you will not have brilliant, amazing, mind-blowing ideas. There are so many different leadership styles and you don't need to fall into this specific box to be a leader within the space. In those rooms where you feel like you may not be the most senior person, how do you combat that imposter syndrome to speak out and use your voice? You know, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes I can't. I think even in my new role, right, online is it's the biggest learning curve of my career thus far, because all of the time that I've spent in previous roles have been traditional brick and mortar businesses. But I have this thing, if I start getting nervous, like if I, my heart starts pounding and and I know I have something to say, I just say it, even if I'm nervous or afraid, right? Like I just take a chance because at the end of the day, it's just people, nobody's going to bite your head off. Like nobody's going (laughs) to, you know what I mean? Sometimes it's not necessarily being able to combat in the moment. Sometimes it's just like doing it afraid or doing it despite that particular feeling. Like that's when I grow and stretch the most. And so, you know, when I want to shy away, I remind myself of that. Like you're not going to grow until you're uncomfortable. Being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Right. Yeah, Honestly, exactly. I, I need a moment to take that in and just absorb <laughs> Yeah, we it. need like, a moment. That was <laughs> such great advice. I love that this chat is blowing up. I see Hannah said, being brave isn't not being afraid, but doing something even when you're afraid. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Since this is a very sort of technical group and we love talking about data, can we ask about your relationship to data? When did you get interested in data? So I worked for a company called Robinson's May. And so Macy's came, bought them out. And I had in my head, I'm going to be a buyer. That is what I want to do. Well, I worked for Macy's Home Store where in order for you to be a buyer, you had to be a merchandise planner. And Merchandise Planner is really focused on data and analytics to sort of allocate like product to all of your, you know, 800 or 1,000 stores or whatever. It's very analytical and very data-focused and data-driven. I was like, I do not want to do that. Mind you, I wasn't paying attention to the reality that my favorite classes were accounting, were anything math-based, anything Excel-based were my favorite classes in in undergrad. But, you know, you have this idea of what you want to be in your head. And so... Hmm. So I move into this associate planner role, like planning like bath rugs and towels and like, and I loved it. I loved, I, <laughs> okay, that's a surprise. like, I know I, <laughs> what I loved is that I could look at a set of numbers and sort of understand my mm. consumer. So yes, there are the exciting marketing initiatives and all of that stuff is important. But if you have an amazing marketing initiative that doesn't target the right consumer, then it really doesn't matter. And so mm-hmm. I loved that data and analytics helped me understand so much about my customer, so much about what she was buying, why she was buying it, where she was buying it. I remember one time we had to have this project where we needed to define our consumer. And I gave my 
consumers archetypes, meaning I gave them identities and branded them to help people understand the data and analytics. And I'll tell you, there was a brand called Hotel that was a higher end brand that people were not allocating to Florida because they didn't think that the customer was there. So it would always go to New York, New York and California. And so I was able to build a case by looking at the data saying, look, we're only sending 10% of our product here, but we're doing 30 percent of the business and just really mm-hmm. creating models to display that and, and explain and giving some context as to why based on who that customer profile is. Such great insights. You know, reflecting back on your career, what's one piece of advice you would give to your younger self, knowing all that you know now? Just like not being afraid to be you or to be yourself. You know, I think it's really easy to fall into the trap of trying to go with the crowd or be like other people. And to me, the ultimate goal, even now as an adult, is like, I want to be my authentic self in every single room. So with my friends, with my family, at my job, like I don't ever want to feel like I have to code switch or be somebody that I'm not. And so just telling my younger self to like kind of hold on to that because it got a little shaky at different points in time, right? So I went to school at USC in Southern California. And then I went to Howard where it's like an HBCU, historically black college university. And I really kind of like just had this moment of checking in with myself and like, I went natural with my hair and like, I have this piercing in my face and, and there's so many things about me that really shouldn't have landed me in like a really corporate job. You know, I remember talking to my mom when I was applying for like the Macy's job, not even a year after college, just my mom asked me, are you going to straighten your hair? Are you going to take that piercing out? We both kind of looked at each other and we were just like, no. And so, you know, I just think I would tell myself, yes, connect with other people and explore your similarities, but like, it's a hundred percent okay to just be individually you, because that sometimes is going to be the thing that like really sets you apart later on in life or in your career. That's so powerful. So many people in the chat are echoing that. I'm glad. I'm so glad. So now it's time for our lightning round questions, which will be followed by a quick Q&A session. Are you ready, Crystal? I'm ready. Okay. First up, who is your favorite Steminist heroine? Catherine Goebel. She worked for NASA, did like mathematical calculations for mm-hmm. NASA. Hands down, she's probably my, one of my biggest inspirations. What is one unexpected thing people may not know about you? When I was little, I was in a Michael Jackson video. Super random. Very random. Oh. Michael Jackson was not there. It was Heal the World. And I was like, just a little like African child running in the desert. So <laughs> that's like, yeah. Whoa. Okay. A random so fact. cool. <laughs> So cool. What's your favorite self-care hobby? Oh, I love to dance. Like maybe it's because I'm Ghanaian. I, I, I love music, but like dancing, whether that's like putting on music and dancing during my chores or doing like dance workout classes, like Brookwine, which is a Caribbean inspired dance class and brunch with my friends. But I don't know if that's really a hobby. Okay. So Julie says that brunch is a hobby. So Chris, you're pretty much set. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right, Crystal, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us today. I know I loved learning about your leadership experience and your impact on the beauty industry. But before we end off, our audience has some insightful questions for you that we would love to spotlight. Sure. 
Our first question is from Allison, who asked, what challenges do you still face at work? Estee Lauder companies is like 84% women. But in, you know, my current role, like my boss is a man. A lot of the people on his leadership team are a man, are men. And I love my boss. But I still feel a lot of imposter syndrome, right? Like I, it can be really difficult to speak up in that type of environment or know that you have something to contribute when you're talking to men in data tech, you know, analytics who can speak to things as, as experts really. And so I would say that that is still a personal challenge for me that I constantly work through every day. And I would say more broadly, representation continues to be an issue, especially now that I'm in online. And I'm always, the first thing I do when I get in, I'm like, let me see the numbers. (laughs) Like how many Black people do we have working here? How many Latinx people do we have here? Are we thinking intersectionally about how we're hiring? And I'm sure people are like, oh, Chris, because nobody wants to be exposed, right, by the data. But we have work to do in our global online business. So that continues to be an ongoing challenge. I remember seeing the very transparent statistics that SD Lauder put out about the amount of Black right. employees there. And that sort of transparency really does match the sort of values and the work yeah. that you do. Yeah. Another scholar asks, how have you most grown in the ELC environment, whether it's through the work opportunities or through the people you met? Yeah, I've made a transition at ELC outside of the first role that I had, like probably every two years. And every single role has been drastically different than the first. You know, I think sometimes we have an idea of what we want to be five years, 10 years down the road. And it's really great to have those aspirations, but it's also really important to stay open because if you would have asked me if I was going to be the chief to the president of our online business 10 years ago, I'd be like, absolutely not. But I also cannot imagine not being in this role, you know, and so I think it's just it's a combination of being prepared and, you know, being kind of outspoken, but also being really open to things that are really different that are going to challenge and stretch and grow you. Wow. Our last question is from Julia, who asks, how would you advise a scholar to build self-confidence and stop seeking or depending on validation from the outside world? That is an ongoing journey that is a 38-year-old woman like I continue to do. But you just have to remember, like, there's literally one you. You are uniquely crafted, uniquely made, and have so much to contribute and, like, People need to hear what you have to say. And honestly, the way you talk to yourself, right? Like, I know it sounds like a little bit crazy, but I talk to myself in, in terms of like reassuring, like, girl, you have stuff to offer. Like, even if I'd wake up and I do my makeup and my brows are looking good that day, I'm like, you did that. You know what I mean? Engaging in a way that just like shows your like self-care and appreciation, but then doing things that are life-giving. So dancing not only is a really fun hobby for me was another way that I could build self-confidence right? Like there there used to be this workout class called Vixen Workout and they still do it, but you go in there and you do all these routines and like, you literally feel like Beyonce and you walk out feeling like a million dollars. Don't discount those little things that help you be sure of who you are and like just steady in the reality that there's something that you have to contribute that nobody else can. Crystal, that was incredible, honestly. Thank you so much for your time to join us today. It has been a pleasure to meet you and have you share your leadership journey with us. You guys are fantastic hosts. You should really uh, take this on the road. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I appreciate that. 
That was Crystal Sai, Executive Director, Chief of Staff for Global Online at the Estee Lauder Companies. You can find her on LinkedIn at Crystal Sai. That's C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S-A-I. Thanks for listening to TechSetters. I'm Maria Hearn. And I'm Itasha Donthi. TechSetters is a Code with Classy podcast powered by If Then. If we can empower a woman in STEM, then she can change the world. The show is produced by the Code with Classy team and Emily Shaw and is mixed by Jason Mack. See you next time.